Just a brief note before we get started, this episode is part of a special series we recorded at the Chemicals America Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. Rather than our usual in-house attorney guests, these episodes feature executives and other business leaders from outside of the legal department discussing some of the biggest issues facing the chemical industry today. We hope longtime listeners appreciate this temporary shift in perspective, and we welcome new listeners, especially those of you in the chemical industry, joining us for this special series. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me, as always, is my producer, Brian Ewing. We are here in Fort Worth recording a special series dealing with specialty chemicals. And our guest today is Owen uh, Japan. Owen is a senior manager with Industry Relations and Strategic Partnership with SACMA. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate it, Owen. Thank you for having us. And uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what SACMA is. What, what is the organization? So SACMA is the Society for Chemical Manufacturers and Affiliates. Uh, we are based in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, we are the trade association for the specialty and fine chemical industry. Gotcha. Uh, we kind of differentiate ourselves from the commodity chemicals that everyone thinks about, um, nonetheless still representing about a $300 billion industry within the U.S. Gotcha. No, that, that's a lot. And is there... I mean, is there kind of a bright line between commodity chemical and specialty chemical, or, or is it more a matter of what you, you know, how, how you choose to define it? It generally deals with uh, end applications, uh, deals with volumes as well. So when we think of the specialty chemical industry, people are dealing in much, uh, much more refined volumes as opposed to uh, think of things that are kind of like oil and gas that are kind of produced en masse and kind of used uh, gotcha. in a lot of different applications. No, that makes sense. And tell our audience a little bit about yourself. How did you end up at, at SOCMA? What's your background? Yes, yeah. I joined SOCMA a little bit over a year ago. Uh, previously, I was still in the chemical industry. Uh, my background is chemical engineering. I studied up at Stevenson Institute of Technology uh, in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, originally from the New York area. I was previously with uh, Ivonic. It's a German chemical company operating globally, of course, um, working kind of in process optimization. Uh, and then shifted over to SACMA, kind of giving a, or gaining a more holistic view of the chemical industry. Gotcha. Sounds good. Give us, um, I guess, an overview of where specialty chemicals mm -hmm. stands now, kind of a, just a picture of, of the industry and, and kind of a snapshot mm -hmm. uh, for now. So when SACMA thinks of specialty chemicals, we kind of break it down into three main areas. So there's agrochemicals, so anything having to do with agriculture, it could be pesticides, fertilizers. Uh, pharmaceutical chemistries, and that's the active ingredients that are in pharmaceuticals, as well as excipients, which are essentially everything else that ends up in final dose medication that's not the actual active ingredient. And the third kind of catch-all is performance materials. So think of anything that's in electronics, maybe additives for lubricants, kind of parts of cars, anything like that. Gotcha. And are those areas generally growing? Are some growing, some contracting? Where, where, what's the market like right now? So I think definitely the economy is something that's uh, a lot of people are looking at with a little bit of trepidation now. Uh, for the specialty chemical industry, we'll definitely still continue to see growth and expansion. It just won't be as uh, strong as it has been, especially the last couple of years. Generally, when the overall economy is going to start down ticking, then you'll see uh, first contractions in the performance materials. Uh, area think that people stop buying cars they may use less shampoo kind of things like that but things like agriculture people will still need to eat medicines people will still need so those generally are a little bit more insulated uh, from economic impact gotcha right, and are there particular areas or, or niches where you're seeing a lot of growth right now any areas particularly hot 
Uh, for particular growth, um, that is something that we're trying to kind of get a gauge for at the moment. Um, people are looking to diversify their portfolio when we speak with them. So people, maybe they've been in a certain subset of chemistries, but they are looking to maybe enter other market areas, even if they are contracting, to kind of capitalize on when the uh, market inevitably recovers for that area. Gotcha. Um, and I know from some of the other guests we've talked to, a lot of the manufacturing is actually done on a toll basis. Um, yes, correct. What is, what is that? For listeners that may not be as familiar with that, what is toll manufacturing? So toll manufacturers are very kind of agile. They have a lot of uh, different equipment. They're able to almost kind of change things in, change things out so they can manufacture anything that uh, someone might be requesting. So one day they might be making something that ends up uh, in a plastic that'll, an additive that's maybe in a water bottle or something. Uh, and then the next day they'll be working on something that's uh, could be maybe a pharmaceutical ingredient. Um, so they're completely different processes, but kind of just by changing them in and out, they're able to still kind of achieve that end product. Gotcha. Um, how many members are there of SOCMA? What are your, what are your numbers like? Uh, so within SOCMO, our network has about 200 companies. Uh, mm -hmm. They are mostly U.S.-based, but we do have uh, global reach as well. Germany and Switzerland, of course, strong in the chemical industry. Right. Um, and activity as well down in um, South and Latin America, as well as Asia Pacific. Gotcha. Obviously, SOCMO is involved in putting on conferences like, <laughs> like the one that we're <laughs> attending here. What are some of the other things SOCMO does for its members? Mm -hmm. So throughout the year, we try to also have more intimate kind of events so that they're smaller, but also regionally located so that events such as larger conferences might there might be a barrier in um, companies having to expense travel so they won't send as many people but we find when we're out regionally we're able to um, kind of attract more uh, engage more people from each company so what we'll do on the regional events uh, we have kind of two different roundtable series one is our executive roundtable so it's geared more towards top of mind issues last year uh, some of the topics included uh, cybersecurity and kind of the ramifications that that has mm -hmm. uh, for chemical manufacturing both on the financial and customer side as well as the manufacturing operations um, just kind of in general in that sense we've also covered supply chain issues uh, as well as uh, things that are kind of on the horizon for manufacturing, so process intensification, uh, things in that realm. The other roundtable series is our EHS, so Environmental Health and Safety okay. uh, roundtables, and they cover uh, different topics kind of every year just to engage the EHS side of SACMA. Gotcha. And uh, you have an award program as well, right? I think, if I understand correctly, I think some were, were presented here. Tell, tell me a little bit about that yes. so our audience yeah. understands those, those awards. So uh, SOCMA has an environmental health and safety management system, uh, so it's called um, ChemStewards. And then within that, everyone that participates in ChemStewards, which is mandatory for all manufacturer members, they submit uh, certain projects they've worked on or certain metrics that they have achieving certain levels of uh, environmental health and safety. They could be implementing some kind of new process that maybe really reduces uh, water waste that would be generated. So we like to recognize companies that have uh, made particularly large strides in those areas, and those are those award gotcha. winners. No, I think it's great, and it gives companies something to, to shoot for and a way to recognize those that have kind of gone Absolutely. above and beyond, which, which is good, particularly in, you know, in an industry which is trying to make safety a priority. Absolutely. What, what, do, what do you guys see as some of the biggest regulatory hurdles or, or other kind of challenges facing it? And are, does SOCMA have a role in terms of either lobbying or legislative mm -hmm. initiatives or stuff in, in terms of trying to address those barriers? Yes, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So SOCMA kind of has three different areas. Uh, regulatory is one of our central pillars. I think one of the 
top of mind issues uh, for everyone in that area is definitely trade. Mm -hmm. uh, the tariffs that have, were kind of the main theme of 2019. Right. Uh, we were right. very no, active and they in seem that. to be mentioned at most podcasts mm -hmm. and in most yep. of these <laughs> sessions, either, either China specifically or you know global just tariff trade tensions, anything trade or, or di disruptions to the supply chain. Um, sure. I think one of the biggest disruptions coming out of China may not even been uh, tariff related. It was also related to their Green Sky Initiative uh, and just mm -hmm. kind of closing plants and people suddenly not having the raw materials they need uh, to kind of source domestically. But Sakma is was active last year, um, writing exclusion requests. So anything that was on the tariff list, trying to remove it if there was no other kind of viable alternative domestically and things like that. Okay. So that, that's something Sakman would do is to say, hey, there needs to be an exclusion for some of these items. Yes, Different correct. specialty chemicals in particular. Yes. Okay, interesting. Any other components of that regulatory piece that Sakman's working on? Uh, so we also formed different peer groups um, to have uh, certain initiatives around uh, things that are kind of coming up. The um, RICRA MPU, Modular Process Unit Exclusion. Uh, essentially, EPA is kind of redefining the way that it interpreted a longstanding rule granting exclusion to uh, hazardous waste units. Essentially saying, changing it from the old definition, which was hazardous waste is when you offshoot it somewhere and store it, and that is now hazardous waste, to classifying it as soon as that substance came into existence. So if you have oh, a, okay. if you're operating a batch process and as a side product, something exists, that reactor is now considered a hazardous waste storage container, which is obviously oh, yeah. problematic. For That's a obviously of. a change, right? <laughs> even, if, even if it's going to be transformed into something else in yes, correct. two hours, mm -hmm. it's still now suddenly it's got to be treated that way. Yes, yes. We have an ongoing dialogue with EPA to kind of um, educate them with the ramifications of redefining it in that sense, um, right. kind of bringing member concerns more to the forefront in that area. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I would see that as a problem, right? If it's, if it's not going <laughs> to end up that way, why do you need to do all the bring in all that regulatory scrutiny over? Absolutely, over that? and it's we were finding it's not really adding an extra level of safety, which is presumably the intent. So mm -hmm. it's it's kind of an unnecessary burden uh, that's not enabling uh, gotcha. productivity in that area. Interesting, terrific. Any anything else on the regulatory front that that you want to mention to our listeners? Uh, regulatory front, definitely kind of hot off the press issues. Uh, the next 20 chemicals for the Tosca kind of high priority list. Uh, so we'll be having some activity around that, forming maybe peer groups or working groups and consortia that are concerned about specific chemicals that are on that list. Great. Sounds good. And then more broadly, anything else about SACMA you'd like our, our listeners to know before we wrap up? I know, we've, I know we've hit on some of the areas, but there may be others that you want to share. Yes, yeah. Uh, we're always continuing to build out uh, kind of our commercial program. Uh, so that's helping member companies uh, kind of develop their business, make new connections. We kind of do that a little bit formally uh, through our lead sheet program. So it's essentially people will come to SACMA with a project request and we circulate that out to the membership and kind of facilitate those discussions. We also are building out a mapping capabilities database that will actually have kind of an inventory of what unit operations our members are kind of um, capable of doing and have within their wheelhouse. And then from that, we're also looking forward to kind of uh, interpolating some economic data so that we can kind of advise on people are very heavy in these unit operations, but we see that based on where certain end use markets are going, that adding another set of, of processes might be uh, kind of a, of advantage. Uh, gotcha. I'm curious. Um, we talked about uh, tariffs and, and logistics and sourcing and all that earlier. I'm curious, what has the industry, what have you heard from members about Brexit? And, and especially now that, that the UK has 
technically left the mm-hmm. the EU, even though the the exact implications of that are still being yet to be defined. But mm-hmm. um, what what's that been like? So that's also, I mean, there's a lot of question marks there. As, as you mentioned, they're out, but they're not. Uh, so thankfully, we have through at least the end of the year uh, to kind of pan out uh, or plan for supply chain disruptions there. Obviously, the UK would hope that they have much of the same status that the EU currently has, um, whether that's something achievable, uh, I guess we'll definitely be keeping an eye on. But it's hard to say kind of which way that wave would break come the end of the year. Has it been a big issue? How much of the of membership actually rely on on the UK, UK ports um, in particular in their business? The the UK port might not necessarily be where the issue is. It's a lot of people might ship in, say, from North America to um, Antwerp or Rotterdam. And then once it is therefore entering the EU, it was okay to maybe ship it by other means into the UK. So the real issue is now, how do we get things from the EU into the UK? Um, so that's kind of, mm-hmm. I think, where the, the main hurdle is going to be. Gotcha. Interesting. <laughs> to be decided. That yeah. sounds like, a, you know, that, it'll, it will be interesting it's to see kept how that kept us on the edge of our seat for years. So. Yeah. Are you guys, <laughs> are there certain soon. things that are being discussed um, about that that you guys are monitoring there in, in the UK? Certain, I know the debate about free ports mm-hmm. and some other items and some blockchain is mm-hmm. I know has been discussed. Are there certain things that you guys are, are keeping a particular eye on as far as potential resolutions to that? Uh, so we're definitely open to kind of entertaining member concerns for specific areas. Right now it's more of kind of a broad, as they work through it, we kind of keep monitor of it. Um, I think reach registration is going to be a definitely a large concern that we'll be very active on. Um, we've already seen kind of reach uh, mirrored in other areas, of course, there's with K reach. So maybe we'll see something like a UK style reach or cross honoring what the existing reach registrations are. So that I think could definitely be something on the horizon to keep an eye on. I'm also curious about Industry 4.0 and kind of where things are at with with that. Um, how advanced would you say uh, membership is? Mm-hmm. We've heard, I think, some pretty widely varying uh, mm-hmm. adoption of smart technologies, mm-hmm. AI and, and predictive technology mm-hmm. and uh, IoT and, and whatnot um, to pretty wide varying degrees mm-hmm. um, among folks that we've talked to while we're here. What's what's uh, your sense of it? So kind of the whole digitalization aspect of industry, um, I think it definitely hit more continuous processes first. So when you think of continuous processes, they're generally used for those uh, bigger commodity chemicals that we were kind of mentioning earlier. And then on the other side, you have the toll manufacturers, and because they're more agile and kind of switching things in and out and doing different processes all the time, it's a little bit more of a challenge to kind of automate things and kind of have intel around that just because it's always in flux, I guess you could say. So I think it's something that's definitely coming because inevitably it, <laughs> all of the all industries will digitize in the end. But I think there's definitely great uh, gains to be made either between keeping record of past batch history and then maybe you could interpolate and kind of uh, digitize from there. Um, definitely on energy consumption, I think that's where um, 
industry 4.0 can definitely kind of champion both cost savings and uh, environmental soundness of uh, batch manufacturing. Because you guys, the energy is a big deal for the chemical industry, right? I Absolutely. Mean, it, it is a very energy intensive, mm -hmm. I mean, manufacturing in general is, but chemical engineering, chemical manufacturing in particular is mm -hmm. very energy intensive, right? Absolutely. If you have anything that's um, maybe a chemistry that ends up with a product that's a solid, but it's a little bit moist and you have to dry it i mean that is just a huge energy suck um is presuming right. that you're using hot air to do that so yeah definitely any ways that can kind of optimize those processes and use less um less of those inputs to kind of still produce the same output would be has there been the anything that you guys have have any kind of mm -hmm. issues that uh have kind of perked up in regard to energy that that you guys have been monitoring pretty closely mm -hmm. over the last year or so so one of our uh, executive forums last year uh, that I mentioned was kind of around process intensification. Uh, so that was done in collaboration with the Rapid Institute. So it's a consortia under the American Institute of Chemical Engineers that focuses on different ways uh, processes can be scaled up or adapted uh, to be less energy intensive. So one of the ways that a lot of people are doing that is uh, through microreactors. So think of instead of having something in a large uh, behemoth of a reactor, you scale it down so that it's just a lot of small reactions happening at once. Uh, you can theoretically, ideally, uh, increase yield. You could uh, dissipate the energy if it's an exothermic reaction a little bit more quickly. And um, there's kind of a lot of advantages that you could kind of see in that area. But as far as energy costs go, have you heard his membership mm -hmm. talked much about that? I mean, obviously, that's a big, especially when states are looking mm -hmm. for, for economic development, mm -hmm. that that's uh, something that a lot of states are looking at. And so I'm just out of curiosity. If, well, I think the chemical industry, or like most industries, has uh, kind of benefited from the, the shale boom, driving down the cost uh, of a lot of energy input. So I would say it's also applicable to the specialty chemical industry. And even if not from a, though it may not be expensive uh, to produce the energy per se, it's still kind of an area, an area where there's maybe a lot of uh, kind of excess expenditure that could be cut to kind of optimize that final cost of manufacturing a product. But one of the trends we do see or have heard uh, and kind of kept tabs on is that as uh, manufacturing is able to become more um, regionalized, then the idea is you can, your main decision for sourcing a plant will be based on the cost of energy. So if you're going to maybe want to enter a large market in the Southern California, Texas area, but energy is cheaper in Mexico, you would build it there and kind of more easily be able to ship it over as opposed to even building a plant over in China and kind of having to then ship across the Pacific. You're kind of condensing your supply chain uh, in that sense. Um, and then another question that I have is about immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about regulation earlier, and I know obviously policy is one of your um, areas of focus with SACMA. Mm -hmm. We've heard uh, throughout the conference so far uh, a lot of folks talking about it being very difficult to find mm -hmm. kind of mid-level and, and upper-level experience or not mm -hmm. as experience but folks who can do the work um, mm -hmm. who you know engineers and, and the like we've obviously seen in the uh, news and lots of discussion about immigration and it's become uh, a little bit harder but how much of that conversation is going mm -hmm. on how much are you guys hearing from your constituents um, about that well, workforce uh, development and recruitment is definitely an issue and then um, that a lot of members have spoken to us about, especially on the recruiting side, as you mentioned, 
we see that there's not any necessarily trend even within the U.S. based on region or kind of size of company and things like that. Obviously, anyone that's located maybe a more urban center will have a larger population to kind of pull from. But in general, we are seeing a very tight market in terms of recruiting and finding people who are skilled to work in these areas. Um, one area that we kind of recently launched something is building out a career center through SACMA uh, so that people can post positions that they're looking for. And we circulate it with a network of other uh, industry trade associations to make sure that it's in front of people that are already familiar or interested in the chemical industry and have a science background um, or manufacturing background to make sure that kind of in the era where everyone goes to LinkedIn or Indeed to post a job, but then if someone's looking for it, they have to kind of comb through thousands and thousands of jobs that may not be uh, particularly relevant to the interest they're looking for. So we're hoping that that will kind of ease tensions a little bit there and kind of open up um, or provide an additional or supplemental avenue for uh, companies to find or be able to fill their workforce. So, but not a big trend right now within the chemicals industry of looking for those people outside of the U.S., like we've seen with the tech industry, for example? Uh, at the moment, that's not something I've, uh, we've kind of been hearing from members. Yeah. yeah. I was just curious okay. About. Sounds good. All right. Well, I appreciate mm. you, you joining us. Uh, when no, if folks I'm... are interested in learning more about Sakma or joining, where, where should they go for that information? Our information is at Sakma.org. So that's S-O-C-M-A dot O-R-G. Terrific. Well, thank you. I appreciate you joining us uh, for this podcast. I want to remind our listeners, you can find previous episodes of the In-House Roundhouse and subscribe to the podcast at our website, WombleBondDickinson.com, or on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or SoundCloud. If you have questions or comments about this episode or suggestions for future topics, you can share those on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thank you for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. We'll see you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womble Bond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer, and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.